You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. We've got some wide receivers finally signing at the top of the market in the NFL free agency period and the Juju Smith-Schuster yeah, just about you know 10 minutes after we stopped recording Friday, which is usually the case. That always tends to happen with the big a bit of news that happens after we're done recording for the day. But I definitely want to get Matt's thoughts on Juju Smith-Schuster's one-year deal back in Pittsburgh and Kenny, Kenny Galladay signing a long-term deal with the New York Giants. And we'll get back into those draft ditties. You've got the NFC South and NFC West up today one note on every team's draft history this episode of peacock and williamson is brought to you by built bar go to builtbar.com use promo code locked 15 you will get 15 percent off your next order at bd peacock on twitter at williamson nfl well you were right about one of them we we had talked Friday, Matt, about the wide receivers and how the top of the market wasn't quite developing yet. And you thought, you know what, maybe Juju Smith-Schuster and Kenny Galladay could have to take one-year deals, have big seasons, bet on themselves, jump back into free agency next year when more teams have more money, and then get that big long-term contract. And that's exactly how it played out with Juju. One year's $8 million, which is very low for the Steelers, but Kenny Galladay was able to work it out. He had an overnighter with the New York Giants and did sign a four-year, $72 million contract, $18 million per year with the New York Giants. Let's start with Juju because I think this was the shocker because you didn't think Juju was coming back with the Steelers, right? And $8 million is a low number on a one-year deal for Juju, so uh, that market just absolutely did not develop for him. No, it certainly didn't, and... I kind of thought from square one that, yes, he wouldn't be back and somebody would overpay him. He's a good player. He's not a great player. We saw him decline when AB got out of this situation and people started keying on him a little bit more. He can play outside. He's best in the slot. Not great at getting off press coverage. Again, he's a good player. He's not a one. So I thought he would get 14, 15 million. I mean, you look at a lot of the receiver contracts the last couple of years, and at that price, I thought, boy, that he's going to probably be overpaid. So I don't know this as a fact, but this is my take on it all, is he didn't get the attention he wanted, calls the Steelers back, as we've, as I think a lot of teams are going to do, go to a comfortable situation on a one-year deal, ball out, bet on yourself, you know, I mean, familiar quarterback and system and all that stuff, maybe win some games, you know, in, in, you know, in a familiar environment. And try to cash out a year from now, you know, to make to make more than eight million a year, which I would bet he probably will when the cap gets, you know, increases and whatnot. More to the story, I mean, I think whenever you have three draft classes, including this one that's about to come up, this is loaded a position like wide receiver. Teams are gonna look at the it's the draft and say, I can get a juju in the second round that's cheaper for the next four years and younger, even, you know. So receivers i wonder if their market's in trouble in general you know so and he's a good example we'll talk about galladay in a minute um and then two other nuggets this again this is my guess educated guess is i think because the steelers are so cap strict you know tight so tight against the cap i think they went to their starting corner steven nelson and said hey we'd like to extend you at your current rate 
And Nelson told them no and said, I would rather get traded. Well, now he's on the block. He's requested a trade. And I think Nelson looks at it, who had one more deal year left on his deal, like, hey, I'm a starting corner. They're getting paid. I don't want to forfeit my opportunity to get on the open market a year from now. So they're kind of, unless they can you know, talk them off the ledge, they're kind of swapping out their starting corner for Juju. And I'm sure they'll get a pick back for Nelson as well. But uh, I didn't see it coming. Interesting. Uh, another part of actually, let, let's go with this route because Juju being mostly a slot, not a slot only necessarily, but a slot heavy wide receiver. Any team that brings yeah. in Juju should use him out of the slot. That's where he's best utilized. So maybe not a fit perfectly for everybody, but a lot of teams use the slot a lot, and that's where the big, biggest mismatches are now in the NFL. Whether you put a tight end out there or a, a wide receiver, or you move a running back out there, but it seems like. Judging by a lot of the nickel corners that are on the market and some slot type wide receivers that they're still not getting paid. And so NFL teams aren't quite buying that the slot position is a marquee starting position in the NFL, that it's still second fiddle, that it's still somewhat of a backup position. It's a good point. I mean, especially at the corner, really, you know, that I guess you're right at both. I mean, absolutely. That that even the Welkers and Edelmans that are pure slots that put up huge numbers, they never got a, a, the, the money that they probably deserved. In a way, this isn't exactly what you asked, but being a slot receiver isn't that dissimilar to being a running back. Just in terms of your punishment, I don't know that those guys in general are going to have long careers. You know, they get tackled by defensive tackles and four guys <laughs> smash them. You know, I mean, uh -huh. a five ten corner doesn't bump them out of bounds after an out route. You know, like those guys get beat up. And you also have to be wired correctly to be able to make catches yeah. in traffic and know that you're going to get hit after you catch the ball on one of those, you know, third and threes. Oh, yeah. And slot corners. I mean, Mike Hilton is who signed with the, the Bengals, a former Steeler, is under 5'9", probably 170 pounds, tough as can be. But when Adrian Peterson comes around the corner or a guard is pulling right at you or a fullback or a double team with a tight end, I mean, those guys get beat up. Yeah, and they got to be tough and they got to stick their nose in there. And that's really what makes a great nickel corner is when he is able to do that. But you have to have quicks to cover Wes Welker. So you got to be 5'9 and short and quick yeah. and then take on a pulling guard occasionally or a fullback. Uh, or at least just, you know, make tackles on running backs, which is tough enough because you're smaller than that guy, too. So really interesting how the NFL is going with that and the slot position. And still and maybe that's just one of the things this offseason. Maybe we'll see it pick back up in the future. And those types of players get paid more when the salary cap is bigger. Maybe that's just the, the casualty sort of of a lower salary cap is it's like, OK, well, look, we've got 11 starters. That's our 12th guy. We can't pay that person top of the market money on top of our 11 starters. I wonder if some analytic folks that hasn't been a starter for my lifetime. It's been a starter for, I don't know, eight years, 10 years. I'm mm -hmm. just guessing. Maybe when we get a little more data or maybe there's enough now that we can look at pure slot corners and slot receivers and say, should they get a second contract? You know, like running backs. Just because of the attrition, because they get beat up. Yeah, it might, yeah. might not last as long. I think maybe, but I also think that position will get featured more. So I think it'll go the opposite direction. I've always thought that way. Yeah. And it's almost to the point where I would rather have, and it could be your number one that you just move into the slot, right? Move your player around. But someone like Juju could be more valuable than whoever your outside wide receiver is, right? Even if he's your number one, because on third oh, down, sure. you know where you're going. You know where the mismatches are. We've seen it with tight ends be so valuable when you have a great tight end and other teams don't. Like, you know, there's a, 
there's a little bit of a difference in the best and the second and third tiers at tight end as there is in wide receivers. So maybe that's another part of it. But, and, you know, there's more wide receivers on the field, too. So that makes up for that gap in scarcity. So I don't know. It's just interesting right now that Juju Smith-Schuster got a lot less money than I expected, even if I was expecting him to get a little bit less than top, top money. Uh, one year, $8 million, That is a deal for the Steelers, and I'm not surprised they brought him back if he was willing to do that. One other note on Juju is that apparently he turned down the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Chiefs were also turned down by Josh Reynolds, uh, who just signed with the Titans. And Trent Williams went back to the Niners, even though the Chiefs were trying really hard there. Uh, I would think the Chiefs would be the number one destination for most free agents in the NFL, specifically wide receivers. Even if you're the number three wide receiver in Kansas City, I would think Juju would go nuts and make a lot more money catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. So I don't know about those rumors, if maybe they're just not true, if those are agent-driven, or if the Chiefs are, are losing out on some free agents, because that's shocking. All right, I got a little take on that, too. First of all, I like the Reynolds pickup by Tennessee. They needed to do something. They better not be done there. That just happened recently. Pretty much the second I got news that Juju signed back here in Pittsburgh, it came out, not coincidentally, I'm sure, he turned down more money with the Chiefs and the Ravens. And my first thought was, Juju, you seem like a swell guy, but you're very interested in your brand and TikTok and what people think of you. And you came in the league as a very, very young guy and very impressionable and somewhat immature, not a bad guy, but immature. And I have to think that was geared at Steeler fans to say, love me even more. I turned down the hated Ravens and the the best uh, situation in football in Kansas City, and I took less to come home. You know, like, I don't buy that. <laughs> or maybe it's a situation where the Chiefs were going big-time bargain shopping on a longer-term deal, and he said, okay, I'll do one right. year $8 million, but I'm not doing three years $8 because I'm going to make a lot more next year. I mean, I bet the Ravens are having this issue that free agent receivers, that's not a real sexy spot to go to if you want people to throw you the football. But the Chiefs are the opposite. Oh, yeah, the Chiefs are the opposite. I, Josh Reynolds didn't sign with the Chiefs. Like, what are you doing, man? I, I might have a sit-down with him on that one. Like, rethink this one, buddy, because, I mean, the Titans are great. Jump Maybe on. you have a better shot at being a number two, and you'd be thought of more of a number three there. Um, but you'd be on the field a lot for Kansas City, and we've seen everybody's everybody's offensive value tick up playing with Andy Reid and, and – uh, Patrick Mahomes. So that, that's that's just an interesting nugget I saw that I'm like, oh, okay, really? Teams are uh, free agents are turning down the Kansas City Chiefs. They must be low lowballing everybody. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, but I don't know that Juju. I I'll stay. I, I mean, I'll I'll stake my reputation that he didn't take less to turn down the Chiefs. Okay, or to come to Pittsburgh. I like it. Matt Williamson's reputation on the stake here. <laughs> <laughs> Just a hunch. Uh, let's talk Kenny Galladay next and get to some draft ditties here to start the week on Peacock and Williamson. With free agency underway, I wonder how that will change the odds for the next Super Bowl champion. And you can find those odds at betonline.ag. NFL draft props, college football futures as well. NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, obviously will be huge all summer long, but March Madness. I mean, we are in the thick of it. March Madness is happening right now. The next few weeks, college basketball rules, sports world, and the betting world, and it is so much fun. Not only sports, but poker, table games, awards shows, TV shows, reality television, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Go to betonline.ag 
Use your mobile device or your computer. Sign up today. Receive 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Promo code locked on for 50% off welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Kenny Galladay did cash in. In fact, it's the second richest contract so far in this free agency period per year. $18 million per year with the New York Giants. Four years, $72 million. How do you like the fit for Kenny Galladay in New York? This I loved this signing just because it made me feel like the old school days of free agency. Remember back in the day, it used to be free agents. The, the league year would open. Maybe a couple players would sign pretty quickly, but most of the players would go fly here, fly there, and you'd hear the stories about, okay, don't let so-and-so get out of the building. Keep him here. <laughs> Keep him here overnight. Let's talk again tomorrow. And that's how it went with Kenny Galladay, and you don't see many of those anymore. Yeah, take them out to nice dinners and show them the neighborhood they live in and, you know, recruiting trip. Yeah. And you know, I think COVID put the stamp on that a, a year ago. And maybe it's just, you know, free agency happens too fast anymore. I, it seems like a lot of money, but the money aside, it really adds up to me. I mean, let's make – this is pretty much the the pivotal year, I think, for Daniel Jones. I mean, if he flops, then I think we're going to have talks of it's time to go get another quarterback. If he steps up, great, you got your guy. It's about that stage of his career. And I think Galladay really rounds out what is now a very good group of weapons. You know, Rudolph backs up Ingram and is much, much different. Saquon returns and should be the bell cow of, of the, the, the whole offense. I always thought Shepard was an underrated player, and now he can pretty much predominantly play out of the slot. With Slayton, who was overmatched as a one or a two, as your third guy, but he's your outside dude, and Galladay's your other outside dude as a one. Like, they all complement each other well. I think it's a good fit. That's exactly what I thought when I saw the signing and somebody posted, uh, you know, a depth chart, a projected depth chart of the Giants' offense. And I thought, okay, no wonder they're not involved in Juju and wanted to go all out for Kenny Galladay. They need that outside player. You got Shepard inside. You got a tight end like Ingram inside. You got a speedster like Slayton. Uh, Kenny Galladay's a great fit there, and... Yeah, some nice pieces suddenly around Daniel Jones. He has no excuses. Yeah, right. You know, he drafted a tackle last year, probably do a little more work on the O-line. But all of a sudden, the Giants roster is not laughable anymore. You know, they have corners now. You know, I mean, they're in pretty good shape. I don't know if they're going to be a, a great team, but their their roster's coming together. Uh, one more note. Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster obviously came in the lead together. That's why they're both free agents together this offseason four years ago. Juju Smith-Schuster still only 25 years old. Galladay's 28. That's a big gap from a guy who was a fifth-year senior and a redshirt sophomore coming out of college. Now, that's a good point that they happened to sign the same day because all the dynasty stuff I do, that was always a knock on Galladay. Be careful. He's over-aged, you know, and I've been around Juju. I mean, you think he turned 21 his second training camp here in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, like, he's ridiculously young. Mm-hmm. Um, quick Giants note. I mentioned they signed a corner and i'm trying to think who that was off the top of my head uh they did not i'm making that up apparently they also signed john ross that's a guy i want to mention too like i don't love john ross but he was a top 10 pick a couple years ago you only signed him for 2.5 million let him run you know turn him loose yeah john ross i forgot about that signing that happened earlier on in the process one year 2.25 million dollars i would have thought he would have had a, a little bit bigger market just for more teams but he signed almost instantly and yeah some more juice on the outside with slayton they got some speed on that offense 
They do. They do. So, I mean, I don't know if John Ross will hit or not, but I think it's worth the risk at this stage. Won't play a ton of snaps. Better chance to stay healthy. You know, throw him in the mix as well. Let's do some draft ditties. NFC South, starting with the Atlanta Falcons. If you're unfamiliar with Matt Williamson's draft ditties, he does this every year. One note on every team in the league for a draft publication. Trends, history from how a certain team has been drafting and we go through and it's fun to see how that correlates to what we've seen on the field with those particular teams onto the NFC South and NFC West today. The Atlanta Falcons over the last eight draft classes, the Falcons have made 18 picks in the top 75 overall. Only five have been offensive players. So they've been trying to fix that defense for a while. Yeah. And some of these are crazy to me. I mean, if you listen back to the other ones here and there, like you would think if you made 13 out of 18 picks in the top 75, you'd probably be better on defense than you are on offense. Well, they're the total opposite. Yeah, and they're still rolling with guys they drafted such a long time ago on the offensive side of the ball and Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. And, you know, they drop one other wide receiver in there and he turns out to be the star. And all those defensive players they drafted have been a lot of busts. Yeah, right, right. And little Falcons note, we haven't mentioned, but they restructured Matt Ryan's contract kind of quietly. And everyone kind of thought, oh, they're going to make some, you know, some space for today. The way they restructured that, it's almost guaranteed that he's going to be a Falcon now for two or three more years. So I don't think they use a fourth pick on a, on a quarterback. I think they entertain trades. And I think they might just, I would draft Kyle Pitts. I'm with you. I didn't think they were going to anyway. And um, maybe they'll, they'll, you know, check out the lay of the land this year. Who knows? Maybe somebody they can't refuse is there on the board at pick four for them. But I had them trading down in my draft. I think that's a prime spot for a team to move up and get a quarterback. And I never felt like this was the quarterback year for the Falcons in the draft. Uh, and I'm with you. And yeah. I think that restructure of Matt Ryan's contract just solidifies that idea. Yeah, exactly. Carolina this Carolina one sort of similar. Yeah, you know what do you got I mean? here? Over the last nine years... Six of the Panthers' first selections in the draft were used on a defensive player. And we know every one of their selections last year was made on the defensive side of the ball. And it's coming around. You know, I know you mentioned it a lot. You like some of the young pieces there. But it's not super great on defense, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's going to take some time. You have to kind of check back on the 2020 draft in 2022-ish just to know exactly what's happening there. I think we have seen some signs that that is coming around. They lost Kwan short, so they've got to replace him now. But you know, three young, good players on their defensive line, which is you know where it all begins. And they're still not done. But it was obvious how much you know they needed to spend on that side of the ball there with the, spending all the draft picks and more than anything, just the statement they made by doing that because you just you rarely see that. And you yeah. see some teams some years draft three players at one position and it's always just obvious. It's like, okay, here's a statement and we don't care if we miss on two of these guys. We need one. I, I'm thinking about the uh, Packers wide receivers a few years ago and the Carolina Panthers last year was like, oh, we're taking all defense. First draft on it with a new coach, uh, just such a statement. And, you know, we'll see if that continues if they just are are all about building the defensive side of the ball and the fact that they signed Teddy Bridgewater on top of it was like, okay, let's be okay on offense and great on defense. And we'll see if that's Matt Rule's strategy going forward. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the Saints one's interesting to me too, because we, we often talk Saints cap and that they are an all in organization, go for broke. They draft the same way. You know, I mean, it, they've made only, 
nine total draft picks over the past two years. And since 2009, I mean, that's a long time, but it's a whole Drew Brees era. They average under six selections a year. You know, like there's a lot of teams that just give me all the picks I can. They realize that nobody's great at drafting where the Saints, they trade up, you know, this this past year, they only had a couple picks. They trade up for Troutman and guys like that. But if you're going to be all in on the cap too, kind of like the Rams, the Rams make a ton of picks. Wouldn't it be smarter to make a lot of picks? So when you cut the Quan Alexanders and all these guys to get under the cap, you at least have fourth round picks roaming around that are cheap. It's interesting because the Saints have done it in a way that they've traded up and their expensive talent is mostly players they've drafted and homegrown talent and then didn't have a lot of draft picks, whereas some of the other teams have gone out, traded for players utilizing high draft picks or signed big-time free agents, but then traded down the rest of the time and collected picks to fill out the rest of the roster with cheap talent. And It's interesting that the Saints have averaged over one trade-up per draft so, I mean, that's their M.O., and we'll see if that changes now. They've been they've been in win-now mode for so long with Drew Brees. Does that change now? And we start to see them move down a little bit, and now they say, okay, we got to reset this and bring in more talent and, and try to uh, you know help our salary cap situation out. But it's very interesting how they've been so good for so long, been able to manipulate the cap with all that cheap talent. Although I guess you could have some undrafted free agents fill in there for cheap talent as well, and there's no limit on how many of those guys you can bring in, and they're even cheaper than you know day two draft picks. So, um, but yeah, that they're the Saints are a fascinating team, and we got to have Ross Jackson on pretty soon in the next couple of weeks to explain a little bit more about their cap salary, uh, you know, shenanigans because I still fully don't right. understand how they're able to do it. It's amazing. Um, you know, wrap it up here with the Bucks, or yeah. are we going to do the West as well? Up yeah, to let's you. do the South here, then we'll we'll come back and do the West. Okay, um, this is obviously going to change dramatically because they picked thirty second this year. But we've talked about this a lot, and you brought it up a lot. They've drafted so well lately, Tampa Bay, and this is a big reason why. I mean, over their last seven drafts, the one that are in the books, they've the, on average they've made. Their, their pick at 9.7. So they're basically averaging a top, they are averaging a top 10 pick barely over seven drafts in a row. And un- unlike a team like the Jags, you start hitting on Worfs and all these dudes, you go to the Super Bowl. It's amazing because Tom Brady goes from a team that was hitting on a lot of picks and developing a ton of talent and has a superstar quarterback and they're rolling for 20 years. Then they go through a dry spell, and it's not that Belichick's been bad at drafting. It's that they were bad at drafting for a couple of straight years toward the end of Brady's tenure there. He goes to Tampa where they were, guess what, just drafting really well for a while and needed to plug in that quarterback. Now, again, superstar quarterback and a lot of homegrown, really great talent. The difference is we're seeing Tampa fight hard to spend money on those in-house free agents, whereas the the Patriots let those guys walk in the past. and. You can really see once you let guys walk and then you miss on a couple drafts and you don't have that talent to uh, refuel the engine there, uh, then it becomes you know, pretty dry, pretty quick talent-wise. And so now the Patriots are on the other side of it saying, uh, okay, let's go sign everybody because we need some more talent again. Yeah, right, right, right. It's pretty interesting the way you laid it out there. And I mean, I, I even said before they signed Brady, I think the Bucks could be a contender if they just don't throw 30 interceptions, you know, like, you know, the, the, the team from a year ago, and then you grab Tom and then you grab Gronk and Fournette and AB and, you know, so 
they, they've also supplemented quite well with free agents, of course, and, and Shaq Barrett and Namakong Su and those guys as well. So it's been quite the job of roster building. Right. In the age of Bruce Arians, in the age of Tom Brady, they're definitely no risk it, no biscuit roster wise, not only on the field wise. Yes, absolutely. All right. NFC West draft ditties next. Today's matchup in the built bar bracket coconut versus white chocolate birthday cake. By the way, white chocolate birthday cake, a very new flavor that I just had an opportunity to taste. Thank you, Built Bar, for sending me that. Usually not my thing with the birthday cake flavored stuff. Somehow Built Bar's magic pulls it off. Not big on coconut, so I'm, I'm probably team birthday cake, which surprises me a little bit with this matchup. What is your favorite flavor of Built Bar? Go to BuiltBar.com to vote today and get 15% off your next box of Built Bars with promo code LOCKED15. Keep voting for the entire bracket as we roll through the Sweet 16 and into the championship April 2nd. And don't forget to chomp on a few Built Bars along the way. A low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber snack that tastes amazing and are all covered with 100% chocolate. And don't forget, promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com, LOCKED15 for 15% off your next box of Built Bars. The Arizona Cardinals, since drafting DJ Humphreys in the first round of the 2015 draft, Arizona has drafted just one offensive lineman on the first or second day of the draft. And that one was last year, right? Which was a third round pick, first pick in the third round, who was... Was that by the yeah, way? Yeah, who was that? You're right, and and I think this is noteworthy. And I wrote this way before it happened. They did trade their third round pick this year for Rodney Hudson, which I think was a great trade. But you can't ignore offensive line. You cannot. And a lot of people had them drafting offensive linemen with the uh, with their first round pick in uh, in mock draft. Josh Jones out of Houston. That was uh, yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. Offensive line. Fell to was, in the second round. Yeah. Yeah, the eighth pick in round three, 72 overall. Oh, he's a third rounder. Josh Jones. Yeah, he should. He was somebody that I thought might have been a late first round pick. So we'll see if he ends up being a starter there long term and a lot of talent and someone that I think technique wise needed to sit a year as he did last year in Arizona. So maybe uh, they've they've got it all figured out after trading for Rodney Hudson. We'll see. But um, that's interesting. And you have a young quarterback that likes to run around. We saw <laughs> it's funny because the Seattle Seahawks have not really put a ton of resources into the offensive line. They've had a couple draft picks. Some of them didn't turn out great. And they just brought in Tom Cable, and they're like, look, yell at these guys, and hopefully they'll block better for Russell Wilson, and he's going to run out of the pocket <laughs> anyway. And it feels like the Cardinals maybe are, are feeling the same way at this point. Yeah, I think that there is some logic to our quarterback is so elusive, so athletic. If we're going to cut corners somewhere, maybe it'll be on high-end offensive linemen. That rarely works, though. Uh, speaking of those Seahawks, let's jump to that, Diddy. Over the past four years, Seattle picked 15 players on the first two days of the draft, 10 of those on defense, and uh, a lot of those not in the first round, and their first-round picks have not been great over the past, really over the past while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and part of that, I think, is Wilson's complaint. Hey, you know, get me more around, you know, get more around me. But I also think a big reason, you know, the, over that four-year stretch is, the Legion of Boom left. You know, I mean, all those guys and KJ Wright's on his way out. It's really just Wagner now, now that, you know, they've been trying to replenish the the stock and haven't done a great job to find 
Averill, Bennett, Thomas, Sherman, you know, all those type of guys. And, you know, they, they, they had all those guys come in together and they all kind of left together. And if you're the Seahawks and how bad their first round picks have been that they have made with all the great players they've drafted on day two. And I mean, DK Metcalf and going back to Bobby Wagner and even a fifth rounder in Richard Sherman. And uh, I mean, the list goes on their entire roster has been filled with mostly star players that were drafted in the middle rounds. I mean, I could see why that would be their strategy. Let's get the heck out of the first round. Let's trade our picks. Let's uh, trade down and and let's keep drafting these superstar third rounders because we keep hitting on them. Right. I think they know who they are. You know, for better or worse, they know who they are. And I think they, they we've said this a lot too, that they they value first round picks less than most teams do. And the other thing is they know who they are. So they're like, okay, well, what's... What type of player do we like? Well, we like big defensive linemen. All right, let's go draft this big end. And it's like, eh, it doesn't turn out to be that great. Okay, well, maybe a big uh-huh. end isn't something you need to draft in the first round. Oh, we want to run the ball. Let's draft a, a big bruising guard or a big bruising tackle that's maybe not, you know, the swiftest of foot to be a left tackle. And it's like, oh, it turns out to be pretty average. Oh, let's draft a running back. We want to run the ball. That wasn't really the greatest decision either. So they, they try to be who they are in the first round too, but those types of players probably aren't worth first round picks in a lot of cases. Right, and... Not to excuse them either, because a lot of their first round picks, Collier, Penny, the guys you mentioned, none of us would have taken in the first round. No, you know, like, Mel and yeah. Todd go, whoa, what was that? You know, I mean, every <laughs> they always go off script. The Los Angeles Rams in the past 18 drafts, 18 drafts, the Rams have made 160 selections, averaging just under nine picks per year. So this is dating. This is predating the current regime by a lot. They like a lot of draft picks in LA. Yeah, I, I probably shouldn't even have gone back that far because obviously philosophies have changed, but it's absolutely the philosophy now that it's a stars and scrub situation. And I think that's an underreported thing about the Rams. They're going to go seven years in a row without a first round pick. And yes, that is crazy. But if you make nine picks, in, including not having a first, you're going to get some guys that help you that are cheap for four years. And when you contrast that to the Saints that we talked about, you know, last segment, the Saints were making 5.75 selections per year. The Rams are making nine picks a year. Well, over the course of a decade, I'm going to better guys than you. I'm trying to think of some players that would have been drafted that long ago. Uh, you got to go back to, uh, you know, Steven Jackson days at running back. Um, I'm just, I, I just, just trying yeah. to get. I mean, that's back when they used Rams to make first drafts. round picks. Let's see. 18 years ago puts us at 2000, 2003. Oh, Jimmy Kennedy. Yes. Out of Penn State. The oh, first round. That, that was the 2003 draft. We've. Oh, yeah. And see, they had a ton of picks that year. They had like 10 picks I'm looking at right now. That's probably um, why I made the cutoff. There, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. Curtis, I, I knew I was going to do that. And I kept going back. I'm like, wow, there's another year where there's a lot. There's yeah. another year where there's a lot. And so Steven Jackson was 2004. 2005. We don't have time to go through all these, but I'm just, sure, sure. I'm just having fun here. Richie Incognito, round three in 2005. Wow. One of Still two kicking. One of two third rounders there. Yep, they make a lot of picks, and it's certainly an organizational philosophy now. Defensive back Ty Hill in 2006, 2007. Adam Carricker, big end. Yeah, big end. 3-4, that was when the 3-4 defensive ends ruled. Remember that? when It felt like 90% of the league all of a sudden said, you know what, we're all going to play a 3-4 defense now. 
Right. I mean, I always bring things back to the Steelers, but there was a stretch where the Steelers could get Joey Porter and Jason Gilden in the third and fourth round because there's only like three teams that played a three, four. And then everybody did. And then those guys become first round pick types, you know? Yep. And we see it so much. And I wonder how the adjustments are going to adjust to what teams are playing now. We've seen a lot of offense be able to beat the cover three defenses that came from Seattle that were around the league. And I think those are going to maybe start to dwindle. And some of the coaches that ran strict cover threes starting to play more man, a little more cover four and some other ideas filtered in on defense and we'll see what happens with the Shanahan offense that is now rapidly growing throughout the league defenses are going to know how to defeat that and will they have to adjust to the adjustments will all those offenses look completely different eventually because they're smart coaches out there and everybody has to change when teams start to figure out what they're trying to do and then we'll see how much those Shanahan offenses are still able to leak fullbacks and tight ends, you know, when no one's guarding them within 20 yards onto the backside of a play. And so we'll see if that continues to happen. Speaking of those San Francisco 49ers led by Kyle Shanahan, since drafting Colin Kaepernick in the second round back in 2011, San Francisco has drafted just three quarterbacks and the average draft position of those three sits at 183rd overall. The highest quarterback they drafted was third round C.J. Beathard, who I thought was, you know, sixth, seventh undrafted type of guy when they drafted him in the third round yeah. was surprising. Uh, they did make the trade of a second rounder for Jimmy Garoppolo, who's their guy right now, but no backup currently. They got to go to the draft at some point uh, and draft a quarterback high. And I think that both backup quarterback and maybe future starter could be found in this draft potentially for the 49ers. But um, they've got to spend some more resources on quarterback and corner. It's almost a similar story at corner. They haven't drafted a first round corner in San Francisco since like uh, Ahmed Plummer or something like that. Wow. Wow. That is that is a good one. Um, yeah, I, I had a tough time finding a great one for them. Maybe I should have looked at the corner route. But, you know, there are some of these teams throughout the 32 ditties I did that average draft position of the quarterback position is 180th overall. Like, you're really not even addressing it at all at that point. No, you're not even trying to develop a backup at that point, barely. Right. All right, good stuff. Those are the draft ditties. Always fun every year to go through Matt Williamson's draft ditties to find some trends and figure out if teams are going to break those trends or if they're going to be the same team that they've been for, in some cases, the last 18 years. Draft-heavy content coming here on the Peacock and Williamson Show tomorrow. Twitter Tuesday is back. Tag me at BD Peacock, Matt at Williamson NFL, free agency, draft, trades, your favorite beverages, how to fix my slice on the golf course, whatever it might be. It's your show tomorrow right here, Peacock and Williamson.